0: and happy Friday. We've got a great show for you. We're going to lean into the weekend. There's a very big political event going on in South Carolina. Former President Donald Trump will be kicking off his South Carolina leg of his campaign, introducing his leadership team for the state. People like Lindsey Graham will be involved and be there, but I expect it to also include a pretty robust discussion about policy and what will be going on in his campaign, how he differentiates himself from Joe Biden, how he differentiates himself from some of the potential contenders like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis or former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. So watch for that event. We're going to have live coverage on Saturday on the site. You can watch the video live on the site. We'll also have uh, an important story on that. But that is one of the big uh, things. So to get us ready for that. No better person to tell us what the president is thinking and where he's going on Saturday night than his national spokeswoman. Liz Harrington is here in just a few moments. She'll join us and give us an overview of what to expect in the great state of South Carolina tomorrow on Saturday. And then in the second half of the show, I'm going to recollaborate with one of my favorite reporters, Seamus Bruner. We wrote the book together, Fallout. You guys all know about that book, how the Biden and Clinton dynasties enriched themselves with the help of Russia, Ukraine, and other enemies. Seamus has been working on a new part of the Biden corruption scandal, and it involves a man named Patrick O. I've talked a lot about him on this show, but Seamus has done some new research. He's going to tease it. We're going to have a big story on the website next week on this, but you're going to get an early preview of it. Seamus Brunner here to talk about all things Joe Biden, the corruption scandal, the classified documents, the business partners, the pursuit of money and what we now know to be Joe Biden as a pressure point on Hunter Biden trying to generate wealth for the family. We're going to cover all that in the second half of the show. That's a pretty darn good show. It's a great way to kick off Friday and to start easing into our weekend. So let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back. First up, Liz Harrington, the national spokeswoman for former President Donald Trump and his campaign. She's going to preview the Saturday event in South Carolina, and then we'll have our good friend Seamus Bruner after that. But first, an important word from our great sponsors, partners, and advertisers coming up now. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. A very big event happening tomorrow in South Carolina, really the first official campaign event for former President Donald Trump in his 2024 effort to return to the White House. And joining us now to help us understand what's going to happen in South Carolina, why it's important and what flows next from it is the national spokesman for President Trump. Our good friend, Liz Harrington. Liz, great to have you back on the show.
1: Hey, John. Thanks for having me.
0: The president's had a very busy month, a lot of substance on truth, a lot of five-minute speeches that are really giving people a sense of what his policy prescriptions are. Probably the most substantive candidate considering to run in the race tonight. Just keeps giving up big stuff. But tomorrow in South Carolina, a big moment. Tell us what's going on and why it's important.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be a really great event, kind of formally kicking off this this great campaign after he launched and made the announcement in November. But We're going to South Carolina. He's going to be speaking at 4 p.m. and he's going to be laying out his leadership team. It's an important state. It's a winner take all state, early primary state. And he, he has been very successful in the state of South Carolina. He's got a ton of grassroots support. And you won it handily in 2016 and in 2020, and uh, we're looking to continue that. And uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a lot of good momentum for this campaign.
0: Yeah, no, it's such an important thing. And laying down the leaders in a state is such an important task because those are the people that carry out the day-to-day engagement, get the vote out, get people going, getting excited, get the word out, create the grassroots that then help a candidate win the primary and, of course, the general election. Will we hear any policy prescriptions? The president had a very important truth posting yesterday on Ukraine and Russia. He seems to be the only person out there trying to get a peace solution going. Others seem to be moving towards more conflict. But he seems to want to get the parties in the room and get a real lasting solution. Will we hear something on policy tomorrow as part of his event?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, it really is always substance with President Trump. Wherever he goes, whenever he does a rally, whenever he does these speeches. Um, He's talking about the issues of what actually matters, and it's so important to point out, he is the only leader uh, that you can find anywhere who's saying, maybe we shouldn't have World War III, maybe we shouldn't be escalating things with the tanks, and then comes God knows what's next. I mean, he he said it, you know, nuclear weapons. This is going to spiral out of control, and President Trump, he doesn't like endless wars. He's unique. Uh, for someone who's led our great country over the past, you know, several decades, the Uniparty loves the endless wars. It's, uh the establishment loves it. And that once they uh did that disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, it seems like very quickly they found their targets uh for another long engaged conflict. And that's not good for the world. It's not good for stability and it's not good for the United States of America. And so President Trump, he's leaning on this issue I think you're going to hear a lot of substance tomorrow, Uh, not just about that, but also, you know, the state of our country right now, this border, uh, the games that the Biden government's playing uh, with trying to fudge the numbers and everything else. It's the worst as it's ever been. And uh, we had the best that it ever was under President Trump. So it's going to be talking about getting back to those America first policies and also looking to the future, what else we can lay out and what more we can do.
0: Yeah. It's a remarkable moment to think of where we were just a little over two years ago. The border was secure. Gas was cheap. Energy was plentiful. We were a net exporter of energy. Crime was coming down and inflation was low. And now inflation's high. The border's open. People really feeling that the country's not headed in a great direction. And it's sort of a weird thing because some of the economic indicators aren't bad for the economy, right? right? Unemployment's low still and the economy still seems to be growing. But those really are the afterdraft of the Trump economic policies, the tax cuts which have kept the economy propped up. But in everyday life, people feel inflation more and they feel these other negative forces in the economy creeping up on them in ways they feel like they're almost helpless to do it. The president seems to always be thinking about that average person. He's not thinking about the alligator shoe lobbyist in Washington. He's always thinking about that worker in Kalamazoo, Michigan. What sort of things will he be speaking to to that sort of person tomorrow?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's always has the common man uh, in mind because it's about the country. It's about what we can be and the greatness of the American dream. And that's what's so heartbreaking about everything that's happening now. None of this has to be this way. I mean, it was, we had the most booming economy under President Trump with real wage growth for the first time in generations. And it was all because of those pro growth policies, it was because of the energy dominance. You know, it wasn't. He promised energy independence, and he led us to be a net exporter. I mean, that doesn't happen. It didn't happen with permanent Washington because they didn't want it to happen. And he showed the way. And so he's going to be talking about all these important issues. And when you talk about inflation in the economy with the unemployment rate as well, it's almost like going back to the Obama years on steroids, though, because, oh, yeah, it looked like the unemployment rate was coming back down after Uh, 2008 and and the big recession there, but actually it was because so many people had given up looking for work. And we have a similar situation going now and you've got these big layoffs coming with a lot of these uh, big companies uh, announcing these massive layoffs and that's a bad sign for the economy as well and it doesn't have to be this way. So he's going to be talking about how we can get back on track, the easy fixes we can do To not just get back to where we were, but get better than where we ever even dreamed we could be.
0: Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. The president in 2020, this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, but his campaign really ran some of the biggest voter registration efforts that the Republican Party ever achieved in its entire history. There's a question now, not only keeping those people motivated and registering more, but that maybe in some places where it is lawful and legal that maybe the Republican Party will work harder to get people who are low propensity, can't show up on the day of to vote early. Is that one of the new tools that could be not only in the president's campaign quiver, but also the Republican Party's quiver going forward?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, it is election integrity. It's making sure that we never have a situation like 2020 ever happen again. And it is all about registering voters, but it's also making sure that those voter rolls are clean uh, and they're not full of phantom votes. So I think that's a big priority. It's a big priority with a lot of you know, independent grassroots organizations as well. Um, they really kind of after the aftermath of 2020 have seen all these different ways of the, the vulnerabilities of our voting systems and they're tackling them head on. Christina Bob just came out with a great book that President Trump is highly recommending. It really shows not just what happened in 2020, but different ways we can tackle it to make sure it never happens again. Because it can't. If we don't have a free and fair election, there's going to be no fix. There's going to be no answer to any of this because the people won't have a say. So I think it all is about restoring confidence for the American people, motivating people as well to make sure they don't give up on the system, right? They don't get discouraged because it's very easily – It is easy to do, you know, you see something and
0: my vote doesn't count anymore. That's that We got to stamp that out, right? And
1: we can't let that happen as well. So it's definitely a high priority. We're going to be motivating people and making sure we fix this country uh, once and for all.
0: Yeah, that's such an important mission. And and I think voter confidence is so important. As you look out over the next few months, obviously, this moment, setting up the first leadership in a state for a campaign is a big moment. What flows from this event? What other things should we see the president doing in the next few months that will further bring his campaign to life and further create engagement across this country?
1: Well, it's going to be a big day. First, he's going to be in New Hampshire giving a great speech before Republicans there And then he's going down to South Carolina, and this will be kind of a kickoff event. And then in the coming months, we're going to be seeing the rallies again. We're going to be seeing uh, more engagement. You're going to continue to see these hard-hitting policy videos. The latest one he just put out is almost a blueprint for what the new church-style committee can do. I mean, just a handful, just a tasting of the different amount uh, of questions they can ask on the just sheer Uh, rot and corruption that we've seen, the weaponization of the government against, you know, average Americans is so obscene. And him laying out those important questions to ask, get to the bottom of this Russiagate hoax, which we're still seeing the repercussions of to this day. I mean, the FBI was colluding. You know, John, you covered so well. It wasn't just Hillary Clinton, you know. They always accuse you of what they themselves are guilty of, Um, I think there's going to be a lot of really good policy stuff coming out, new directions, uh, and also just how we can make America great again, setting up leadership teams in different states, uh, putting the agenda forward and showing the people, reminding them, you know, there's a reason why President Trump is the most successful uh, first, had the most successful first term in modern history. Uh, He's unique. He's uniquely qualified to be able to lead this great country and take it to the globalists And he's going to do it again. And I think we're going to show that in this campaign in the months
0: ahead. One of the things that I've really noticed, and it reminds me a little bit of the Ronald Reagan strategy post-1776 when Ronald Reagan would do the fireside radio chats on in 77, 78, 79, really reintroducing himself to America and what his policies were after he lost the very close race to Gerald Ford. President Trump seems to be doing these very substantive five-minute presidential-looking statements, and he literally lays out a policy prescription. You mentioned the one about weaponization of government. There was one on China recently. There's some very specific things. This seems to be an intentional there. It doesn't happen by accident. And how are they being received by voters thus far?
1: I think they're being received incredibly well. And you, you got to think, right, they've tried to completely isolate him from the American people that, you know, they don't cover the rallies anymore. They censor him. They've, you know, kicked him off social media, all these different things that they've tried to do. And yet the people are still hungry to hear from him. So I think he thought it's important to speak directly to them. You know, no filter, let the people digest it in two minutes, five minutes. And and hear what he has to say on the most important issues that are facing our country and it's really resonating people love to hear what his uh, prescription is for all these awful problems they want to hear his leadership his ideas and they do want to be reminded uh, also about you know what we what we could do what we did do and what we can do in the future then uh, as well when we get back in so it's really important. These are the biggest issues of the day. And he's the one. I mean he's the only president that took on China. Uh, he's the only one who got us out of wars, not into new ones. He's the only one who secured the border, uh, who delivered energy dominance I and mean, all these different issues, the booming economy as well. Uh, the American people are, are hungry again for that leadership and they love to to hear directly from their favorite president.
0: Yeah, such important dynamics. When the conservative movement is in its best position, it's because it's leading with its ideas. And and it seems to me that that's what the president's been doing the last few months, just watching him and seeing these very specific policy prescriptions that they're tailored to the common person that you can really understand them. They're not alphabet soup, but they're very specific ideas that, that can lurch this country forward after all of the backtracking gets done. Last question for you, Liz, I want to ask It seems like the media is rooting harder than ever for Donald Trump not to succeed. The New York Times had a story saying, oh, the RNC is abandoning the president. Oh, hey, Ron DeSantis is the favorite of a lot of people. The truth of the matter is all the polling shows it. There's no one even close to Donald Trump in the Republican primary among the base of the party. Why do you think the traditional media is getting so involved in trying to pick winners and losers in the primary? And what might it say about the next few months in terms of how the media goes about covering the beginning of the primary season?
1: Well, I think it's, you know, it's for their survival, right? (laughs) They don't want him back in. They don't want him exposing uh, their corruption because he laid it out in that video uh, about the weaponization of government. It's not possible without a compliant, corrupt media. He asked a very important question. How many of these so-called journalists were compensated? How many of them were paid? That's an interesting question for the committee. So I think, you know, it's in their self-interest, they don't want to see someone uh, like President Trump. They don't want to see him in office again because he disrupts their entire system. That's their entire way of life. That is their access to power. And he disrupts that completely. He will dismantle it uh, in his second term. So it is so important that the American people just go directly and seek out their own news. And, and you know, they can keep doing the same gameplay, uh, game plan that they had in 2016 and 2020. It doesn't work. And their credibility is the lowest it's ever been. So we welcome it. We welcome uh, the onslaught. Bring it on. President Trump, he's he's in this position because he's so tough and he only cares about the country. You know, he never had to do any of this. He's used to, you know, all these battles and he's going to keep fighting them because it's about it's not about him. It's about the country.
0: People like to see more politicians that actually have the country over their personal interests. And certainly the Biden family seems to have it in the reverse way from all the things that we're learning from the laptop and Hunter Biden and now the great investigations. Liz, it's a great honor to have you on the show tomorrow, folks, at 4 p.m. We'll have a live view. You can watch the president's rally and event in South Carolina. It's actually not a rally, but an announcement in South Carolina. We'll be covering that live tomorrow, and be sure to tune in there. Liz, great to have you on, and we'll catch up with you next week. A lot more big news coming down the pike, it seems like. Absolutely. Always great to be with you, John. You as well, my friend. Thanks so much. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, my amazing cohort and a co-author on the book, Fallout, Seamus Bruner is going to be here. We're going to talk about the latest developments in the Hunter Biden
2: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. This next guest, I've had the pleasure to co-author a book with. I've had the pleasure of working on several stories here at Just the News With he is truly one of the greatest investigative researchers, editors, and writers that I've ever had the chance to work with. He works at the Government Accountability Institute with my good friend Peter Schweizer. He writes occasionally for Just the News. He is the one and only journalist, Seamus Bruner. Seamus, great to have you on the show. Uh, John, it's always great to be with you. I keep thinking that all those conspiracy theories that we were accused of in 2019 somehow came true. It's kind of funny that conspiracy theories would come true, but they all did. And that's because our original reporting, your original reporting, was always based in fact. Just facts that some people found inconvenient and didn't want to focus on. But... When the Hunter Biden story started, and you and I worked on it, and you and Peter worked on it, and Miranda Devine worked on it, it began as a story of what looked to be a crooked son trying to cash in on his father. But now, as we learn more and more from the business partners, we learn more and more from the laptop, we learn more and more from FOIA documents, we begin to realize that Hunter Biden actually was sent on a mission by his father. In 2010, his father... Tells him and Hunter Biden's business partner, Eric Schwerin, go figure out my earnings potential by 2016. That conversation has evolved into a conversation about wealth creation. And in between those two points is when Hunter Biden goes out and does China, Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Romania deals or attempts to do them at least. And it seems now more clear than ever that Joe Biden is at the head of this influence peddling scheme and likely is at least a partial beneficiary. That's why he's asking his son to do it. How much do you think the story has evolved in the minds of everyday Americans? Do you think they're beginning to understand this isn't a Billy Carter wayward brother or Hunter Biden wayward son story, that this really is about the head of the family being the beneficiary and the director of this activity?
2: Yeah, it's always, it's always been, it's always been uh, a, Joe, or a Joe Biden scandal, not a Hunter Biden scandal. It's funny. I saw a T-shirt uh, for sale online that says, I need new conspiracy theories. All my old ones came true. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so we've we've been on this uh, covering it for years now, and the it's very it's been always very convenient for uh, Joe Biden's defenders that Hunter Biden is largely the focus of the story, and they like to take it down avenues of drug addiction and prostitutes. But it really has always been Joe Biden, and I think this classified document scandal. Uh, really puts that into focus. I mean, whether Joe Biden accidentally or, you know, mistakenly took classified information, it's a very serious issue. Um, But that's not the real, real problem here. The real problem is that the first family is compromised by several foreign governments and businesses who have dirt on Hunter Biden, they know the money trails that led back to Joe Biden and the entire Biden family, really. And the, mis- the mishandling, potential mishandling of classified information is really bad, but it's really who might have had access to that. And that would be Hunter Biden's business associates. You know, these were not very secure places. No,
0: they weren't. That's such a good point. It's comforting to know for the first time I'm hearing Congress Talk about the idea that the documents really are an extension of the influence peddling concerns that are now there. They're tying them together in a way. And that really is, I think, the right way to look at this. This isn't just a process investigation about how documents got into Joe Biden's hands or out of the government into these locations. It's the fact that these documents could have been accessed by the untoward state actors in private foreign actors that the family was dealing with. There is a great email. It's one that I use often in my stories to remind people where Hunter Biden, right when the second approach of Chinese businessmen are coming in, this is the CEFC deal. There's the earlier Harvest Bohai investment fund deal. That's 2013. It starts on the famous Air Force Two ride to Beijing with Hunter Biden on his dad's jet. But in late 2015, going into 2016, the CEFC China Energy deals are coming in, and as the original principals are approaching uh, Hunter Biden, eventually they're going to give him a 3.2 carat diamond and a $5 million forgivable loan. Hunter Biden remarks to one of the people connecting him to the Chinese players that he has no illusion that they're not interested in him, Hunter Biden. They're interested in the family's last name that statement seems to put into such clarity the idea that this was influence peddling, that Hunter Biden wasn't some hapless drug addict looking to score some money. He had a systemic way of selling the family name to fulfill the mission that his father had given him in 2010. How important is that email and how important is the philosophy? Because it seems like Democrats are working real hard now to turn this into, oh, poor Hunter Biden, he was just a drug addict and we should feel sorry for him and he got off track this seems to be very conscientious, cunning, and strategic pursuit of foreign money using the family name.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right, John. It's, it, and it's that email is critical, um, where where Hunter is, is talking about doing business with uh, Yu Jianming and uh, the CEFC guys, and he says, they're not coming to you, you uh, the other business partners. They're coming to me and the Biden family. Um, there's other emails where he, a lot of the correspondence is actually between Hunter and the CEFC guys, he signs off saying best regards from me and my family. Uh, Yi Jianming sends a letter back saying my regards to you and your family. Uh, And and it's clear that Joe is basically the thing that Hunter and his business associates dangle to their business partners. We've got other emails where they say uh, we've got a direct pipeline to the administration. That would be the Obama Biden administration. Um, and And then you've got the text messages, like Hunter texting his daughter saying i 've had to pay half that give half my salary to pop for thirty years um, and And when we first saw these emails and text messages, it was so shocking um, that you, you almost don't be, like you can 't believe that this is what he 's talking about, but the, every you know every day more and more stuff comes out on this on these deals and on joe 's involvement on Hunter paying his father's bills while his father was in office, which may may be a crime. It doesn't seem, it certainly doesn't seem ethical. Um, it, it, we, I think we just need to take Hunter at his word. Another, another thing that we should take Hunter at his word that was just so shocking. You couldn't really believe it when you first heard it was when he was saying that he was in business with the uh, bleeping spy chief of China. Uh, he's, he's on a recording on his computer, his voice, you know, we now know, and all the, Outlets, uh, mainstream media outlets have confirmed. They hired forensic uh, authenticators and uh, computer experts. They verified the laptop's real. Nobody can fake Hunter's voice, at least not yet. And he's saying he's in business with the effing spy chief of China. And then we've got another recording from Joe Biden. His voice is unmistakable, saying the New York Times story, I think you're clear. So, Joe is looking out for Hunter to make sure that these deals don't get exposed and that they all uh, come crashing down. So it's, it's really just it's sad and uh, really scandalous.
0: You have such a great grasp now of what the evidence is, what the evidence that the American people were deprived of before the 2020 2020- election, particularly uh, both through the censorship of the Ukraine stuff in 2019, 2020 impeachment, and then the censorship of the laptop. But now the body of evidence is there, and you are one of the people who has the greatest command of it. Most Americans, I don't think, fully appreciate. There are two business partners that Hunter Biden worked with that today are felons, and the felonies they are accused of committing, they commit it while working alongside of Hunter Biden. The first one is kind of well-known now, and his name is Devin Archer he gets convicted in a tribal fraud scheme that he's doing while he's working with Hunter Biden. And he's been well-known. He's waiting to be sentenced to prison. The lesser known one seems to be taking on more and more prominence. His name is Patrick Ho. He's one of those Chinese businessmen that try to approach in late 15 and 16, get this energy deal going where they're going to, China's going to buy up natural gas resources in the United States with the help of Hunter Biden. Patrick Ho is accused and convicted of making bribery payments to African leaders to get energy deals for China while he's working with Hunter Biden, by the way. And he's convicted in the United States under Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, other charges. But you've been digging into another part of this Patrick Ho thing, his possible role in helping Iran get around the embargo and sanctions that the U.S. and West had. And that's important because we know one of the documents, at least reported to be in the Biden's possession, is an Iran intelligence report. Tell us what you learned about Patrick Ho and Iran. This is a big story you're going to be writing on Just the News in the next couple of days, but give us a quick overview of what we found and why it's so concerning to so many people.
2: Yeah, John, the two, it's exactly right. The two biggest like pieces to this whole Biden scandal are one Joe's benefit profit potential profiting 10% to the big guy if Joe's getting money that's you know conflicts of interest bribery that, that's the type of stuff that, that's huge but the second and even more uh critical in a way is the threats that these deals pose to American national security and so when we hear that Hunter saying he's working with the spy chief of China, uh, that's, I mean, it's, just, it's staggering. He's referring to this guy, Patrick Ho. And Patrick Ho has been, he's been covered largely as this energy executive. Um, but we know that's not, like, we know that's not the case. He's not just an energy executive. Even even the New York Times and, and Washington Post have reported on the CEFC and the Patrick, I mean, you can't avoid the Patrick Ho indictment. It was huge. And as you noted, uh, it was Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. It was bribing of government leaders. So we've, got a, we've already got a pattern here of this guy's MO, which is to uh, exert the Xi Jinping CCP agenda worldwide. He's trying to get buy up energy assets in Africa that we know that China's been making huge pushes into Africa to buy up the critical minerals and, and energy assets. But before that, this is the really shocking thing. that's going to come out in this piece is Patrick Ho was trying to traffic weapons. It's not energy It's weapons uh, to Iran and to other uh, Arab nations, I believe Syria. And uh, he's, he's also, his bribery schemes involve weapons. So I think we really should take Hunter at his word. Patrick Ho, was some form of an asset, not just this energy. He's not like an Exxon, uh, Exxon uh, VP type. He's, he's, a, he's an asset of some kind. And we really need to peel back the layers. Investigators need to pull back the layers on all of uh, Patrick Coe's dealings worldwide and why the Bidens thought that getting into business with a man like this was a good idea.
0: Yeah, such an important new area and avenue for exploration, particularly now in light of the disclosure of documents. As you look out now, Seamus, and you've spent more almost as much time as anyone in the laptop and inside talking to the business partners and others, what are the biggest questions that Congress still must need to ask? And I think one thing that keeps coming to mind to me is it seems to me if Hunter Biden is calling Patrick Ho some sort of spy, potential spy asset, that maybe the family got defensive briefings at various time and still proceeded ahead working with these people, that would be an interesting question to find out. Did the Biden family ever get a defensive briefing from FBI or counterintelligence? And secondly, if not, should they have? And third, what are the other questions that we should be looking at?
2: Yeah, well, that no, that's a great point, John. I've, I've often wondered that myself. Is when when. Any businessman from the U.S. goes to places like Russia or China, they, they come back and they, they uh, sometimes talk with our intelligence services to, to give them information on what our adversaries are up to. It, it was, was Hunter Biden doing that? Uh, they could put the whole matter to rest right now and say, no, actually, Hunter Biden was basically spying on the Chinese. I don't, that does not seem likely. This seems just like, as we reported in Fallout, uh, our adversaries got a lot more than we did from uh you know with the Clinton Russian dealings and others dealing in Russia um, just just like that uh the bidens gave away a lot more than we as America got
0: yeah, so important so very important and uh, big questions that we need to get answered in the next few months to get a better sense of understanding is america compromised with the current president at the helm and that's a question that is a legit question it isn't a conspiracy theory even some democrats now are beginning to realize that that's what the classified document discoveries i think added to the picture as you walk out over the next couple of weeks, what are things to be watching for? I guess one of the things we should be watching for, will other places that Joe Biden frequented, like his beach home and others, be searched by the FBI to make sure there's no other classified documents sitting out there? That seems to be the big compass thing we should be watching for, right?
2: Absolutely. And, and, and you just reminded me of a story that Just the News published. Um, when Penn got this surge in Chinese donations after they set up the Penn-Biden Center there, um, uh, if, if, if the Bidens were actually helping America's national, st- you know, strategic interest, uh, national security interests, um, we wouldn't be closing down investigations into Chinese espionage into uh, at, at the university level. But once the Penn Biden Center opened after that, UPenn faculty sent a letter to the Biden Justice Department uh, asking them to shut down Chinese espionage investigations into universities. We absolutely know that there is Chinese espionage going on in our in our top research institutions in America. Why would the Biden administration shut those investigations down? So the evidence all points towards uh, Joe Biden and others, many others in the uh, American political system, unfortunately, have taken money from China and have let, weakened their position on China. They, they either, uh, you know, just pay lip service to, oh, we got to take China seriously, but they don't actually, or, uh, so I think the national security uh, concerns here are the the big issue. The other thing that really needs to be investigated, things that we as journalists don't have access to, but uh, congressional investigators can subpoena, is how much did Joe Biden get from all of this? They need to subpoena the LLCs, the offshore, accounts, just like Ron Johnson and, and Senator Grassley did in their epic report with the SARS and the money flows with all the Hudson West accounts, we need more, more clarity on where Joe Biden's money is, what's going on with Hunter paying his bills. Um, These credit cards, we know that the CEFC executives gave credit cards to James Biden, the brother and his wife, Sarah and Hunter, and they go on these shopping sprees. It wouldn't be hard to get credit cards into the hands of all the Biden family members, as we saw at least three of them got, and they allow them to just go on shopping spree. So I think that we've just got to follow
0: the money. You are so right. And that's what you've done so well at the Government Accountability Institute with our good friend Peter Schweitzer. In the stories you've been writing with us at Just the News, of course, all the great work I was blessed to benefit from in the book, Fallout, that we worked on together. Seamus, you do such a great job. You're an honest broker, an old-fashioned gumshoe reporter, which America needs a lot more of. So grateful for your time today. Thanks for joining us, my friend. I know we're going to be talking a lot in the next few months as more big discoveries come out about the Biden family and its corruption schemes. But a great honor to have you on the show today.
2: Thank you so much, John. It's
0: always a pleasure. All right, it's our pleasure, man. We love having you. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe, now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. you should love your car that's why every car we sell is carmax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer so don't settle find love at first drive and start shopping now at carmax.com carmax the way car buying should be
0: all right folks that wraps up another edition of john solomon reports the podcast from just the news So grateful you can join today. A big thank you to Liz Harrington and to Seamus Bruner. Two very thoughtful interviews. A lot of news in them, a lot of headlines. That's always a fun thing. But we will leave you waiting to see what happens in South Carolina on Saturday night. We'll have stem-to-stern coverage at justthenews.com. I'll have you covered with video and news coverage throughout the day, but that'll get us in. We've got a great weekend of shows as well. We had some great guests on the television show. We're going to adapt those interviews to the podcast on Sunday, and we've got a little bit of investigative stuff to show you on Saturday. So don't go anywhere. We've got Devin Nunes and Tom Fitton joining us on Saturday. That's going to be a fun conversation. So have a great Friday night. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Be sure to check out justthenews.com whenever you need a news fix. We'll be back uh, Saturday with our Saturday edition. Devin Nunes, Tom Fitton, and Ezra will be joining us. You won't want to miss that.